Amen. You guys know that we're in the middle of a series called The Gospel According to 21 Pilots. Two weeks ago, we looked at the song Car Radio and kind of used that as a foundation to talk about scripture, about the gospel, about um, truth, and the mission statement, if you will, of this band, the 21 Pilots, was in that song. It's in one of the later stanzas, and it says, faith is to be awake, and to be awake is for us to think, and for us to think is to be alive. You guys, that right there is the gospel according to 21 Pilots, and it is the gospel according to the Bible, according to Jesus Christ. Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. He's being tempted by the enemy. This is before his ministry began, but when he comes out of the wilderness, the first thing he does is he gives a sermon to a crowd of people there, and these are the first words out of his mouth when he began his ministry. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Seek forgiveness, change your thoughts, change the way that you think, and change your actions, and believe this good news. You guys, the biblical Greek definition of repentance is to change the way that you think. When you hear in the Bible the word repent, when you hear Jesus or John the Baptist over and over and over to the crowds, repent, 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 that's all God is asking for. He's just saying, change the way that you think. Just try to think of me, God, and of yourselves, my kids, in a new way. Think of God, be willing to acknowledge that maybe you've had some bad information about who God is and who he created you to be, so just be willing to change the way that you think based on the truth of Scripture. So that's the gospel, to change the way that we think. That's the definition of repentance. And what I love about the 21 Pilots and why we're going to look at a few more of their songs is that they're telling people about God in a fresh way, and their audience is just vast. I mean, not millions, but billions of people have heard the songs, the music, the lyrics of the 21 Pilots, and every song, every lyric is saturated in Scripture. Therefore, it's saturated in the gospel. Their songs are about angels and demons and death and emotions, and there's deep symbolism, and people listen to them, and they hear their songs, and they're like, I don't get it. I mean, I like it. It's fun to dance to, It's fun to sing, but I don't necessarily understand it. But what people really don't understand is that they're singing these lyrics, and they're not just singing songs, they're they're declaring gospel truth. So I love that people don't understand their lyrics. I think, in fact, that's kind of the point, because the pilots want people to think. And so does God. God wants us to think. God's the same way. He's always telling us about himself in fresh ways, all day, every day. He tells us about himself in every sentence of scripture, all 66 books, and he tells us about himself in every aspect of nature, both the blooming flower and the terrible hurricane. God is declaring, there's something you need to know about who I am in this. So, scripture and nature, life and death, God uses those things to tell us about himself. Ecclesiastes chapter eight, verse eight says this, none of us, that's none of you and I, no one in this room can hold back our spirit from departing 
No one in this room has the power to hold back your spirit from leaving your body. None of us has the power to prevent the day of our death. There is no escaping that obligation, that dark battle. And in the face of death, wickedness will certainly not rescue the wicked. Do you hear the gospel in there? Do you hear the encouragement in there? If you listen, it's totally in there. None of us has the power to hold back our spirit from departing. None of us has the power to prevent the day of our death. There is no escaping that obligation, that dark battle, and in the face of death, and we will all face it. Wickedness will certainly not rescue the wicked. What is God saying? Everyone in this room is gonna die. Every human ever born, we are going to die. We are gonna give up this borrowed sack of dirt and our spirit is going to leave our bodies and we're either going to heaven or we're going to hell. There's no middle ground. Nobody can stop it, but there is rescue. He wouldn't say there's rescue unless there was and he's warning us like a loving father warns his kid not to touch the hot stove. He's like, there's danger if you rely on yourself, if you rely on money, if you rely on just pleasing you and not taking care of the other people around you, that will not save you. But there is rescue available. Life and death remind us every single day that we cannot save ourselves, and we forget that. We forget that, we get comfortable, we get into our little, little rhythms, our little boxes, our little lives, and we get comfortable, and we forget the fact that, man, I, I, you could die today, and there's bigger things going on out there in the world that we ignore, and we have been forgetting that since day one. I'll read a scripture to underscore this. New Testament letter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. I'm just going to read through this. Listen for the key words. Listen to what God is saying to you this morning. This is my second letter to you, dear friends, and in both of them I have tried, as your pastor is trying to do even now, to stimulate your wholesome thinking, to refresh your memory. I want you to remember what the holy prophet said long ago, and what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, the end times, when Jesus comes back and the world ends, like Revelation, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come and they will mock the truth and they will follow their own desires. And the scoffers will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. God is saying to us, the author of this letter is saying to us, Jesus is coming back. You guys, Jesus came 2,000 years ago. He died on a cross. He paid for your sins and mine. He paved the way for rescue so that we don't have to go to hell. We get to go to heaven for eternity. We can live a life of truth and power now while we're still alive. He did that for us, but he's coming back again. And when he does, the earth as we know it is over. Judgment 
will fall. And this letter is reminding us, he's saying Jesus is coming back. And if you want to know one of the clear signs that that's going to happen is people will start to mock truth. People all over the world will start to mock God. And you do not need to be older than you are right now to see that that's happening every day. This is Time Magazine from a few years ago. This is Time Magazine from just a few months ago. But this is what we're living in right now where people are like, is God dead? Is truth dead? It is mocking God. That's mocking truth. And that says when that starts to happen, the end is near. You need to remember that. Now these mockers, they deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago. And by the word of his command, he brought the earth out from the water and he surrounded it with water and then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. We have some pretty fresh imagery in our minds to recall that story, don't we? And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be judged. And the letter is saying, and God is saying to all of us this morning, don't forget, Jesus is coming back and living for yourself, living just to take care of you will not rescue you, will not save any of us. He goes on, you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, God is being patient for your sake because he does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief in the night. And then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire. God is imploring us. He's begging us like a father saying to his child, don't touch that hot stove. He's saying, there's danger. You're in danger. My son is coming back and he's gonna judge the world and don't forget that. But God is also saying, I don't want anyone to perish. I don't want anyone to die. I don't want anyone to be separated from me. I want everybody to repent. I want everybody to remember, you need rescue. We need to change the way we think about who God really is. We need to change the way we think about who we were created to be. And yet, even this strong language right in front of us in scripture, on so many pages, we do forget, don't we? We forget that Jesus is coming back. We forget that the world's gonna end sooner than later. We forget that. We we think we don't need God, and we think we don't really need each other. And in thinking that, God allows opportunities to come along like life, like tough prognoses, like hard situations, like hurricanes. So, Hurricane Harvey rolls up and that God didn't send Harvey to wipe out Houston. It's just part of the natural order of the way that earth exists and operates and there's good in it and there's bad, but it's just weather. And Hurricane Harvey shows up and just everything changes 
overnight. Like I just, I love weather. It's just so gets me excited and jazzed the way that it can literally just rain and when you wake up in the morning, the entire landscape of your home and your community is changed. I just think that's amazing. I think that's so powerful and inspiring how that can happen in less than 24 hours. Here's some statistics about Harvey that you may have seen. How much is nine trillion gallons of water? Well, that's how much rain fell in three days' time. Nine trillion gallons is enough to fill the Great Salt Lake up north two times. It would fill the Empire State Building 33,000 times. It would cover New Orleans in 128 feet of water. It equals nine days of Mississippi River flow. I don't really understand the last statistic, but that would do that too. It would cover the lower 48 states with 0.7 inches, 0.17 inches of water. A lot of rain, a lot of weather. Um, Houston, this is record rainfall. We've never seen rainfall like this in recorded history for Houston. We've never seen rainfall like this in recorded history for the state of Texas. That means nowhere in Texas has ever gotten this much. There's never been this much rain in one place anywhere in the United States of America since we started writing stuff down. And they're saying already that it will be the most expensive natural disaster in the history of the United States. $190 billion is what they're saying it's gonna cost to get Houston and Montgomery County back to where we were before the flood. Let's look at some pictures from around town, places you might recognize from the flood. So I went out, and I do this every time a major weather event happens, but I went out and I took pictures of the city and the community before the rain started falling because I knew it was gonna be different the next day. So on August 25th, I went out and I shot Lake Woodlands. And then two days later, the rain wasn't even done yet. This is in the middle of it when there was like a lull in the storm. August 27th, that's the same place. Look how dramatically changed it is from just rain. Next one. Next picture, Chase. This is underneath Lake Woodlands. This is underneath Woodlands Parkway, the bridge that you drive over. So I went under there because I'm super smart and safe. So that's August 25th, before the rain started. There's all these rocks under there, and there's just a normal flow from the, the dam. And then August 27th, the water is all the way up to the girders. There's 25 feet of water raging through there. If you could feel the water on the concrete when I was under there, if you could hear the thunder of the water just going whoosh, it was so powerful and just impressive. It made me feel so small. That's just two days of rain, and there was a third to come. Next picture. This is Timberlake's Timber Ridge on the left. This is Glenlock and Dawnwood. Every single time there's a flooding event, this street gets flooded. So that's 25th, and two days later, that's the 27th. That water there, that's the river, that's this new river the water made flowing through there. It's so strong that if I were to walk through there, it would sweep me away. And there's that house, you see that American flag in the top right, like just the water's just hitting that wall and flooding through that house for hours, for days. Next picture. This is Gosling Road. You see that car? It's on the road. And you see way down there, that's about a mile from church. I tried to get to church this day. I tried five different roads. I tried Kirkendall, both sides. I tried Gosling, both sides. I tried going way 
to uh, Tomball and come back in through the back, all the roads were flooded. Church was completely inaccessible for me. If you live between Willow Creek and Spring Creek, you could not get out. And if you live beyond those, you couldn't get in. And there was this like Swedish news team that interviewed me, which was really strange, but maybe I'm famous in Sweden now. <laughs> and you got these guys unloading the boat and they're gonna go out and do water rescues. But that's Gosling Road. You guys drive on that every time you come to church. You drive on this road. Where's the road? It's gone. Just two days of rain. Next picture. Anybody recognize this? That's the front of this building. There's a river flowing through our parking lot. Our portables had water up to the windows. One of our portables, you can't go in it because it's not safe, but if you go look at portable number three, it literally bent in half. There is the floor, supposed to be flat, it's five feet up in the middle, like a piece of cardboard. This rain just crumpled, just destroyed it. And the water came within two inches of this building. I don't know if you guys saw it. I put it on Instagram. You guys pray for your sanctuary that it doesn't flood. Because if it did, we wouldn't be meeting in here today. Two days of rain right there. Next picture. That's I-45 at Sawdust Road. Right? It's flooded. Within a few hours, it would go all the way across the freeway. Traffic shut down in and out of Houston and it happened multiple places all over. The Kroger, the, the, the shopping center where church project meets is right over here, and they got flooded too. Next picture. That's Creekside. That's the neighborhood right over here. Look at all that water. That's not supposed to be there. Those are streets. That's a park. Those are homes. Two days of rain. Next picture. That's 1960 and I-45. There ain't supposed to be boats on there. Two days of rain, flooded, and you had all these dudes going out there rescuing people. One more. That's Interstate 10 entering Houston. Look at that. Those bridges are like 50 feet up in the air. Look at all that water. Show me the next one. And then you got the people. You got these people like literally racing the floodwaters, trying to get away from their home, carrying all they can to get out of there in this driving rain. And you could see, and there's just, there's just dozens of them back there just trying to get out there and, and not drown even as their house goes. Look, you get this puppy between those two boats just swimming. <laughs> right? That's the first time I saw him too. I'm sure he's fine. Next picture. Look at that. That is crazy. That's your city. Look at those people just go on and on trying to get out of there. And yet, for all of Harvey's devastation, look what this event made people remember. Look what it inspired them to do. How they responded. Check this out. Next picture. I shot this in the Wildwood apartment building behind church project, and this man was on the other side of that fence, and that water is raging through there, just destroyed that, and those dudes literally were just hanging out, we were just talking about it, and we hear this guy, help, and we go back there, and he's being washed against those pickets, and they saved his life. It changed not just that young man that was being saved, but those dudes, like, we just saved somebody. That's inspiring, that's awesome, that's an opportunity to do something good in light of something bad. Next picture. This old woman was stuck in her car underneath that bridge and these guys got to save her, rescue her, deliver her from the flood. Next picture. 
This man and his daughter were reunited. They didn't know if they made it out. And do you think that's just not the sweetest hug they've ever shared in their life? Next picture. This man went and rescued this woman and her dog. And just look at the emotion, the gratitude, the fear, the purpose on his face. Next picture. This man, this fireman going in, rescuing these two kids. What a beautiful shot. Like they're having fun. <laughs> My bedroom's underwater. <laughs> Next picture. Look at this man carrying this woman and her newborn, her toddler. I think that's her car in the background. Can you imagine what she was thinking? And she's like, I can't even. When the water's like that, you can't open your door. Next picture. All right, so look what it made people remember. It gave them opportunities to go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And these are screenshots of which I took dozens and dozens. I laid in bed, I think it was Saturday night, and I read post after post from you guys, from my friends, from strangers about people going out and serving and witnessing and rescuing, and I'm just laying there in my bedroom and I'm crying like a baby, tears of joy and gratitude that I'm a people too, that this is who I was made to be. Small acts when multiplied by millions of people can transform the world. That has been happening in your city all week long. This is a blog that had hundreds of thousands of shares and, and, and reads. For a stunning moment, the world has stopped fighting against each other. It started fighting for each other. It's breathtaking. Take note, world. You don't need to wait for a devastating disaster to love. You don't need to wait until your neighbor is drowning to reach across color, religion, sexual orientation. Just love each other. Go to the next one. If you don't believe that we as people were born to help each other, look at Texas. That's amazing. There are only people helping people out here. There are only strangers opening their homes for strangers. There are only men and women risking their precious lives for other precious lives. This storm, as devastating as it was, has reminded us why we really are here, how powerful we really can be. And this is a post that I put up. As I read through all these, I was just inspired to write that for the past five years, thousands of people have been praying for Houston to become known as a city of God. And as I look around tonight, all I see is post after post after post of people loving other people as they love themselves, as the Bible demands. We're wet, we're tired, we're battered and broken, but I think, I believe, we're better off than when we were a week ago. So let's love each other even more tomorrow. Let's care for each other so well that it is all anybody is able to talk about. We are not finished because of this storm. We are just getting started. This storm has been horrible for many. Folks have lost their lives, but look what it has inspired in you, in your families, in your neighbors. It's amazing. I want to remind all of us today that there is more to us. There is more to you. There is more to life and there's more to God. I'll demonstrate that a little bit. So my name is Justin Robert Ulmer, right? Let's put up the change the way we think slide. That's my name. My middle name is Robert. They call me J-Bob. You cannot do that. Um, yeah, here, J-Bob. So there is more to me than you know. There's more to me 
than meets the eye, just like there's more to you. So I am an employee, but I'm also a boss. I am a disciple, but I'm also a disciple maker. I'm a son, but I'm also a father. I'm an artist, I'm also a recovering alcoholic. I am a husband, but I'm also a friend. To really know who I am, you need to know all of that. You need to understand the whole picture. To really know Jesus, you need to know all of him. To really understand God, you need to understand all of him. We're quick to acknowledge that Jesus is our friend. He's a healer. He's a helper. Jesus is our shepherd. He's our comforter. He's our counselor. We are quick to acknowledge Jesus is our savior. But he is also the creator of heaven and earth the captain of our salvation. He is an all-consuming fire. He is the chief priest. He's the judge of all. He's the alpha and omega. Jesus is the king of glory. He's the king of nations. He's the king of kings. Jesus Christ is the Lord of heaven's armies. He's not just the one. He's also the other. He's not just friendly and kind and loving. He is also fierce and a leader, and a captain, and a king. I'm gonna read you guys some quick verses. I'm just gonna rifle through them, and I want you to pay attention to the titles of Jesus, and I wanna have you pay attention to the order that the titles appear. Show me my scriptures real fast, Chase. Isaiah 60, you shall know that I, the Lord, am your savior and your redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. Hosea 13, But I am the Lord, your God, from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. 2 Peter 1, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 2 Peter chapter 3, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, all glory to him, both now and forever. Which word came first? Which title came first, Savior or Lord? Lord. We acknowledge Jesus as our Savior, and we forget that he's Lord first. He's God first. He's not one or the other. He's both. But Lord, the Lordship of Jesus comes first. He's God. He deserves our worship, our reverence, our bowing of the knee. Anybody ever read the Chronicles of Narnia? Yeah, you do. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. If you've never read it or seen the movie, I highly encourage you do both, and sooner the better, because they're awesome. There's about four siblings who discover this enchanted land, and when they're asking about the ruler of this land called Narnia, His name is Aslan. He's a lion. He's bigger than other lions. And this conversation unfolds. Is Aslan a man? Asked Lucy. Aslan a man? Said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he's the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who the king of the beasts is? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he 
quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mrs. Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver is telling you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. You guys, the thing that I'm challenging you to change in your mind this morning about God is that yes, he's your friend, but he's also the Lord of heaven's armies. Yes, Jesus is your healer, who you pray to when you're hurt or sad, but he's also the captain of your salvation. He's your shepherd, yes, but he is the alpha and the omega as well. He's your comforter, but he's also an all-consuming fire. He's our refuge, but he is the Lord of lords. Dwight, you guys can cruise on up here. Students, here's the gospel in this sermon. Here's the good news. When we acknowledge God as Lord and Savior, the scripture says that he's on our side, that he fights for us, that he breaks down barriers for us, that he blesses us with secret riches, and that he prepares us for battle. He prepares us to be rescuers like him. When we remember all of who God is, no matter what war may come, no matter what weather the day might greet you with, no matter if you or someone you know is facing death, when we remember all of who God is, each of those situations, the scary things in your life become opportunities. If you're still scared of God today in any area of your heart or your thoughts or your life, if you're still scared of him, if you're afraid of death, if you're afraid of this, what, what if this happens? Uh, what if that happens? If there's fear in your life about life, maybe you have forgotten. Maybe you never really knew all of who God is. You can fix that before you leave this room. You can acknowledge Jesus, not just as your Savior, but your Lord, your King, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10, in my opinion, is often overlooked, especially by pastors. We stand up here and we say, pray in your mind, pray in your heart that Jesus will be your Savior, invite him into your life, and you'll be saved. But this passage says there's a little more to it than that. Romans 10, 9 through 10, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be rescued. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. We forget it's not just about believing and praying, it's also about declaring who God 
is. If you need to solidify your faith in Jesus Christ this morning, if you want to just put a nail in the ground in your life today and say, this is the moment. If you want to receive the fullness of God's love and rescue and empowerment this morning, believe who Jesus is, believe God raised him from dead, and declare it in some way. You guys, acknowledge Jesus as your savior and the king of your life, like your master, your ruler. The world needs that right now, and so do we. We're gonna respond to our sermon. We're gonna respond to whatever God has been saying to you this morning. I invite you to reach into your chairs and grab your pen and your paper. We'll have our tithes and offerings in a moment where you can come and you can give to the work of the church and we got a lot of work ahead of us the next few months. You can come and take communion, your reminder that, man, what Jesus did on the cross was like, it wasn't for her or for him, it was for you. And taking communion is saying, thank you, Jesus, my Lord and Savior, for rescuing me. We can worship. He's God. Let's worship him. We can sing with all our heart. You don't think you sound good? That's even better. Like, belt it out. Let's raise our hands. Let's let God know we're here and we love you and we need you. But you can also just write something to God this morning. Maybe this morning you just write a personal letter to the Lord. You just write something like, Jesus, you are my Savior and my Lord. Like, have you ever said that? Have you ever declared that? Have you ever stated that in your life? If not, do it before you leave. Jesus, you are my Savior and my Lord, you can write to your Father, you can write to your Savior, I need you, I love you, I trust you. I'm gonna pray for us in just a second and you can just respond in any of those ways that you feel led to, but I'm so impressed with many of you that I've seen and many more that I haven't seen yet, the way you've been serving your community, the way you've been being the hands and feet of Jesus, the way you've been being the light of the world, the way you've been being salt of the earth, you have been this week being all that God created you to be. Keep it up. The floodwaters will recede. The homes will be rebuilt. Let's not stop taking advantage of this opportunity to love people in the name of Jesus. Find a way to serve. Find a way to pray. Find a way to point to God and say, he's here, it's okay. I'm going to pray for us, and you guys can respond. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you that we're alive. Thank you we get to gather together and seek your face. I believe we have seen you this morning. I believe we have heard from you this morning. You are our Savior and our King. You are our rescue and our Lord. Write that truth deep in our hearts. Change the way that we think. Forgive us for taking you for granted. Forgive me for just looking at one aspect of you and not the whole picture. We thank you that you are so good, that you use all things, you work all things for the good of those who love you. Lord, we have just gone through a storm of a lifetime, 
but you are working good in it. And we say, thank you. We say, we trust you. Move us to respond. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys respond as you feel led.